Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha, thanks for being here with us. I am just popping up at the start of the episode today to let you know what is happening on the show this week. So Naishka Chandran is our host today as we take a listen to her conversation with Korea Town Acid recorded at Mutec Festival in Montreal this year. As a DJ and a producer, there's always like a pressure to make like a banger that you want to be played by other DJs. And sometimes like, I just want to do what I do and like make art and that's not necessarily club friendly. As you're about to hear, this chat, which happened a few months ago now around the end of August, covers absorbing sounds and inspiration at Mutech Festival, Koreatown Acid's latest release, Elephant in the Room, and her pre-performance rituals. I'm wishing you a really wonderful listen to Koreatown Acid on RA's Exchange. Welcome to the RA Exchange. My name is Naishka, and my guest today is a key name in Toronto's club community. She is a DJ, producer, classically trained pianist, who has a multi-dimensional style that really defies borders. When I listen to her work, I'm often reminded of a shape-shifting collage because of the way she glides across jazz, electro, dub, drum and bass. Both her sets and productions are richly loaded with texture, and I think it's this attention to detail that really makes her live hardware sets so stimulating. Please welcome Koreatown Acid. Hello. Thanks, Jess, for being here. How are you feeling? Um, great. <laughs> I want to congratulate you because today is the day your new album has been released. You're also back here at Mutech for the second time doing a live show. Life seems pretty good for you right now. Yes, I I feel the abundance that's happening to me and I'm uh, very grateful. And uh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I want to talk about the new album. It's called Elephant in the Room. And this is your third release in the span of a year. It follows your debut album, Metamorphosis, which came out. Actually, my debut was uh, Mahogany Forest. But a full-length album. It's arguable, because it's a six-track thing. Okay, I like it. I I actually would like to know the difference. Maybe we can do it at the Q&A, like the difference between what's considered EP and LP, the boundaries. Definitely, I think a lot of people have different opinions on that. Yes. But this new record, Elephant in the Room, is your third release within the span of a year. Um, You had Metamorphosis last year. You had Cosmos, which came out in April, just a few months ago. This is a really impressive and prolific pace of production. Are you always working this hard, or have you just been feeling extra inspired to churn out these back-to-back records? You know, I don't really like consider myself like, oh, I'm so prophilic like that. Like, I feel like there's like way more prophilic producers out there, like the whole New York scene, like you, as you know, like, you know, Kush Jones, Mama Reddy, all those guys, like they release their band camp like every two weeks and stuff. And like, you know, I'm just catching up. <laughs> and 
you know, working with my own paste. And uh, but when you work with a label, it's there's like release date and there's just more planning ahead. That's not you. You can't just like release on your Bandcamp. So, yeah. When I look at your whole body of work, I see so many different genres, and I think each record you put out really showcases a different side of your musical palette. Um, Metamorphosis has a lot of hip-hop, a lot of house music. Cosmos from this year is more lo-fi, a lot more dubbier. Like down-tempo, yeah. Some IDM. When I listen to this new record, Elephant in the Room, to me it seems like a combination of its predecessors. There's some rap, there's some introspective melodies, there's high-speed jungle, and of course your signature element, which is glitch. Can you talk to us about how you approach this album and what kind of message you wanted to convey with this record? So I recorded this elephant in the room uh, starting from like the December to like May during like the lockdown in my home studio in Toronto. And uh, it was a bit of a struggle <laughs> because um, as an artist musician, I need to be like stimulated by the environment and the scene, whatchamacallit. And uh, yeah, it was a dark time, and um, it was like sort of like my spiritual journey, so to say, and uh, a lot of like a sort of self-awareness and like you know like just a development as a human. So it reflects kind of like that period of time, and I always find like your recording of your music is sort of like time capsule of your life, and. I kind of felt like I was like the elephant in the room, just like isolated and like trying to record this album. So when you look at the cover of art, it's actually um, hand painted by artist friend Peter Chan, um, really amazing artist uh, based in Toronto. And uh, yeah, it's a elef like elephant, like kind of like in the room, but I wanted like the open sky sort of thing. And yeah, it's like kind of like, I say like self-maturity kind of thing, like a progression. It's definitely one of your more club-friendly records. Um, there is still a lot of down-tempo and IDM, but overall, when I listen from start to finish, it sounds like you made it for the club. Was that an intention you had? I think I always like struggle to make the club track. As a DJ and a producer, there's always like a pressure to make like a banger that you want to be played by other DJs, but, uh, and sometimes, like, I just want to do what I do and, like, make art, and that's not necessarily, you know, club-friendly. Um, I feel like sometimes, like, you just have to, like, go with the flow. Like, if you're too intentional about, like, oh, it has to be club or something, because I'm, like, kind of all over the place. So I appreciate, like, artists who can, like, really have that signature sound, you know? like. Jeff Mills like has his own sound, like that kind of signature sound. Like I feel like I'm still trying to find, navigate that. Like, yeah. You know, a lot of different artists I think struggle with having an identity or a sonic identity. That is because, like you said, sonic ID. <laughs> there is pressure to be categorized under a specific genre, um, so that festivals and booking agents know how to market you, but. You occupy a very special place because you really, you know, your albums jump across genres. Do you ever feel pressured to stick to one sound 
or are you happy experimenting as you try to develop your own signature sound? I feel like the pressure of um, like being picked by those promoters and playing all these like big festivals and you need to have like a certain sonic identity. I think that just kills a vibe as an artist, right? Like because you're kind of constructing yourself and that just kills like a freedom. And I think as an artist, it's really important to have that freedom, not pressured by things, because it's 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 same as like working for corporate office or something. And as an artist, you need to have your own voice. And I just try to do my thing, even though it's like not digestible for everybody. Like I just keep trying and then you have to just create your own fan base and you know. So so as an artist, I wanna like sort of my sound kind of identity is like that experimentalism, whether it's a machine and I still do releases that I make like using doll, like using sample packs and stuff like that. And I try to be not too biased about what I use. And it's just about like, it's a like idea, inspiration and execution. And just rotating those and like, I'm really learning to be more like intentional about stuff. So it's a lot of thinking, introspective like stuff like, oh, what kind of artist do you want to be? What kind of impact do you want to make on the people? What kind of like, how do you want other people to like portray your sound, right? And then like, me, like art is very subjective. So, you know, like you can interpret it like the way you want kind of, and that's, <laughs> It's kind of my job, the world of music reviews, which is also very subjective. But I want to ask you, did you try anything new with this new record, with Elephant in the Room? You mentioned experimentation is a big part of your process. Did you try out any new hardware or new techniques when you were making this? Yeah, definitely. Like before I entered the, the latest lockdown in December, like I built like a little modular um, I had like few friends as a mentor like help me and I participated in this like modular class at Viren University and uh, yeah so the, definitely that little like modular rig that I have to built uh, going just going into lockdown so it was definitely a, a new thing and sort of relearning stuff is very important because there's so many options you can navigate with the machine and uh, you just have to, you know, spend some time like exploring them, and I spend a lot of time doing that in order to like complete the work. I want to get into your modular work later, um, but you mentioned right now you had a lot of help from friends while you were putting together this album. I know collaboration is a big part of your creative process. You've always worked with tons of different artists across genres. Um, I know Metamorphosis, the album from last year. It had um, the Korean rapper PNSB. It had the LA producer um, Drift Dave. Your new album, Elephant in the Room, has an all-Canadian roster of guests. There are names like the saxophonist um, Xander Miller um, and the modular Humber jazz student. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, talk to us about how you choose people to work with. Um, I know just the other day at the festival, you were telling me you're now working with uh, the New York producer Haruka. Yes, Haruka. Why is collaboration so important to you? And yeah, how do you figure out whether a fellow artist is on your same tip? 
I think it's like working with like-minded people that inspire you, and that has like a similar vision, right? So like, for instance, Haruka, like we played together uh, in New York like two months ago, and she um, played like an incredible DJ set, and I was like, wow, like you're incredible, and then she wanted me to do like a remix, and her production was incredible. And uh, recently when I played the Paragon last weekend, I stayed with her and she had all these like electron machines and she was like jamming like a live techno. And then like she just felt so comfortable in her like element and she's like hum really humble and she's been around. She's, and we are, it's funny because we actually like we're talking and then we open for a lot of uh, same artists. So we're like, oh, we should do a crossword because we <laughs> found that we open for all the same people. So there is definitely like, it shows the musical sort of crossover of uh, taste. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, so I think, you know, obviously like, sometimes like, for instance, like the people who contributed for my new album, I have like my mentor, Drift Note, uh, who have also helped me um, inside with a modular and then, like the Chrono and the Xander Miller, they are like very like up and coming like new like artists that is not discovered. But then I saw like a potential in them that can that, that they can contribute into my sonic vision. So I think it's usually like I it's the potential and then like when they inspire me a certain way. Because um, sometimes like when you like work with like a bigger kind of like more established artist and then they're like sort of busy there doing their own thing and it's sometimes you have a lot of expectation because it's the artist that you've been following and then maybe the outcome might not be as like satisfying. And um, sometimes like, you know, it, it is a risk to work with like somebody who is not like, you know, known, but I think it's like, it's my job to like discover those people and then like, I, I saw the potential and like follow their stuff and like, in that just like I wanted those kind of collaboration to happen like naturally and or organically because you don't want to force anything, right? Like, so like, yeah, just going with the flow and just like, and then I feel like sometimes like the newcomers are like a little bit more eager and excited, right? <laughs> They're like, oh, I get to do this. And I like that kind of passion, mm -hmm. I think translate into the music, right? So. Is it important for you to work with Toronto artists that, like you said, are up and coming and may not have the same access or opportunities as someone like you, a touring artist, has? Again, does it depend on just the vibe and the creative flow that you have when you're in the studio with them? Or are you actively looking out for names that deserve more opportunity or deserve more access? I think that really depending on if it picks my interest, right? Like. If I go, you know, see somebody and then like, I never heard about them, but they're incredible. Then, you know, I'm like, wow, like I want to work with them, like that kind of drive, you know? So it's like wh whoever that has like that kind of, picks that kind of interest. Oh, and then I want to mention about another producer that I have collaborated with, uh, Hu Joplin. Uh, she's actually, uh, we spent time together at the Red Bull Music Academy um, back in Calgary. And then we collaborated track in the studio at the National Music Center. And uh, she's an incredible producer. So um, like that, 
just happened kind of like naturally because I just like what she does and she makes really like like dirty drum and bass and like really heavy beats. So, yeah. I want to talk about just your diverse musical palette because again, yeah, listening to all of your albums, there's so many different genres and it's very clear you have a very diverse range of inspirations and influences. Uh, I know you're a classically trained pianist. Does that inform your productions in any way, having that kind of background? I mean, I, I don't think, maybe, you know, maybe like the trained ear would help, but I think in, in this kind of music production with computer and like the drum machines, like it's not necessarily about the scales. It's like, I think it's like, depends like, you. it's like knowing what you want to do and how you want to sound like and how you're going to get there. That has nothing to do with classical music. So yeah, like you you have to know how to like analyze it and then the f kind of feel that you want to portray, right? And then you have to really analyze it and then I think chase it kind of thing. Like, so like knowing which artist you want to sound like and breaking that down, I think recently that something that I've been thinking about more, mm. I, I guess that's part of me trying to be more intentional about my sound. I think it helps because it sounds like it's given you a framework as to how to listen to music and how to identify scales and different chords that you want to incorporate into your own work. I'm also curious about your relationship with hip hop because you work with a lot of rappers. You were on Cadence Weapons um, album, Parallel World, which was out last year and won the Polaris Music Prize. Talk to us about your relationship with hip hop and why it's so important for you to incorporate rap and beats into your work. So I'm originally from South Korea and um, when I was growing up in the night, like, 90s and um, I was just, hip hop was a thing, hip hop, R&B, and then I listened to a lot of K-pop and K-pop is influenced by American hip hop. And when I immigrated to Canada, like there, there used to be no like phones and in, like YouTube. And I used to watch like much music. H hands up if you know much music. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I was exposed to sort of that kind of hip hop and R&B and like, you know, I love like Notorious B.I.G., Tribe Called Quest, Q-Tip and MF Doom, like Bahamadia, um, yeah, like. Classic 90s. Yeah, and Busta Rhymes. <laughs> I like Kendrick Lamar. I, I like Claremont II, Cadence Weapon. Yeah, like all of them. And I listened to a lot of uh, underground Korean rap. And PNSB was like the one of them that I discovered through the kind of underground hip hop. But anything that I like has kind of sort of like a jazz, sort of jazzy element and like kind of like moody kind of feel, I have I've realized. Are there any particular rappers or artists that you're dying to collaborate, collaborate with? I mean, we, we've already worked with quite a lot of um, some of your key friends in Toronto. Are there any people in specific? Actually, Miss Milano. She's based in Toronto, and uh, she really been killing it. And really like her last album. Um, and then there was also like a, a rapper 
named Essence, like in Korea, and uh, really like to work with them in the future. It sounds like you have, still have a lot of deep ties back in Korea. Um, tell us about how you want to work more closely with the artists you know in Korea and what, exa what exactly you would like to do, whether you want to bring them over to Toronto, maybe go on tour, or whether you're more interested in touring in Korea itself. Uh, probably I want to like, I, I'm, I'm more like an artist and I get very stressed about like organizing events and being a host. So, um, and I would love to just go to, go to Korea and like eat food there and like, you know, it's like my hometown, right? So I would definitely be manifesting, trying to go back to Korea like after the pandemic, because I did go to there in 2019 and uh, played in this uh, district called Itaewon, which is sort of the subculture stuff there. And uh, yeah, in Korea, they have a Seoul community radio, um, they have a lot of community thing going on and actually really incredible artist. Um, I feel like Koreans are really good at like understanding the concept and they kind of like make it trendier. <laughs> and uh, really impressive producers in Korea. And uh, I just, I did like a couple of compilation stuff at the Reach Out Records and the Textures. Um, and then some of them were like helping with like a donation and stuff and uh, yeah, just sort of contributing to the community and trying to like expand that. And uh, I don't have like any concrete plan, but you know, I'm, I'm sure I'll go back I, soon. Who are some names in um, Seoul's current electronic music landscape that you think we should all be listening to? Um, Salamanda? Do you were, know of them? They were just in Bali for the boiler room. Oh, no way. Okay. Salamanda. Um, what else? Y2K2. Do you know of them? I don't think so. Um, I hope I someone is taking notes so we can all <laughs> check them out later. Um, but mostly they're circled through the Seoul Community Radio. Uh, there's a record label I like, Honey Badger Records. They're pretty cool. Other like richer records, although like sort of artists like in that hub of the community, like oh, actually there's a, a another artist that uh, she plays like German based jungle with MPC. Um, forgot her artist name. It's like a Leo. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? <laughs> we we'll find it out later. Yeah. Jungle has that. That maybe want want me to buy MPC. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to see a lot of, I've been noticing a lot of younger artists these days get into jungle and dubstep and drum and bass. It sounds, feels like there's been a revival of sorts. This is especially prevalent in the UK. You have artists like Pink Panthers, Tim Reaper. These people are being credited by, you know, by being modern jungle revivalists. You have a lot of jungle in your in your music. What is your relationship with that, with the UK bass? Um, landscape. Are you? Did you grow up listening to a lot of drum and bass and jungle? Actually, no. I I kind kind of uh, got into like jungle and drum and bass like lately, because I was more into like hip hop and house and techno, sort of. That was my bread and butter. But uh, I think I love like broken beat, and it comes from that. And uh, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out the difference between jungle and drum and bass. Drum and bass. 
maybe we, we can push that to the Q&A later, but uh, <laughs> yeah, like it's, yeah, I think like the broken beat aspect and like kind of uh, sometimes like you, you're kind of tired of the 4-4 four four and you want to kind of go into the different realm and it's part of the exploration, I think. I want to talk about your studio setup because um, I know you use a lot of drum machines to make these sounds. What is your sampling process? And maybe you can talk us through how you conceptualize a track. If you want to use an example from, from this new record, that would be helpful. Like when you sit down to write a track, are you more focused on what hardware to use or are you, is it more of a thematic vibe-based situation that, hey, I'm going to sit down and create a house track or are you trying to experiment with the hardware in front of you? It really depending what kind of like release it is, or like is it something that I want to make with like DAW, with a sample, with a post production, or do I? So for instance, like the set that I'm playing in Mutech is DAWless hardware set, and I had to be really intentional about what I use, and I didn't want to travel with the mixer, so I've been going to place to live set and rent like getting to rent the DJM900 DJ mixer with the four channel. So I have four machines. And then those four machines do different things. So one guy is a drum machine, one guy is a sampler, one guy is like FM synthesis, and one guy is a modular rig, right? So they each contribute to different, they have a different jobs. Like, so trying to be intentional about that because before I used to have like four synth and one sampler and you know, you, you have to kind of break it down and make sure that each things are responsible for each job. Yeah, let's talk about what you have planned for your live set at Mutech tomorrow. Um, we were just chatting about this outside. I was curious how much planning goes into a live set. We've had the privilege of seeing beautiful live shows the past couple of days here, and everyone has a different approach. I know some people like to improvise and just be in freeform mode. I know you have a little bit of a blueprint going into the, the live sets. Tell us how you prepare. So my goal for my set is to have fun <laughs> and not take myself too seriously because sometimes like playing a live set can be like a nightmare because of all the technical issue. And like I MIDI sync all my machines so they're in the same tempo and they kind of work interactively to within the machines and like the pressure of like, you know, your cable not working and it's not syncing is like that kind of like technical pressure is what I have to, you know, live with. So it's kind of overwhelming, you know? I mean, it is an exciting opportunity. I love Mutech. I've been coming to Mutech for, you know, eight years and um, applied for many years to play. And um, if it, like Mutech really inspired me to do more like hardware stuff for sure. Um, yeah, and then I, I want to have fun and engage with people. And um, I'm very like a sort of like last minute person as well. So last weekend I was in New York and I was like so inspired that I just start writing new stuff and c'est vie. <laughs> when preparing for the live sets, do you have a sequence of patches or core melodies that you're looking to incorporate into the live set? Like, is that part of the blueprint? 
or rough plan? Yeah, definitely like a playing on the original content for almost an hour. It's a lot of preparation and then a lot of like pre-programming stuff. And I mean, first of all, knowing how to like use the machine, navigating the machine and like, is this machine that you're looking for? It's like sort of like try and error. It's kind of like dating. <laughs> It's, uh, you know, you got to try it out. And sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it works. But you can't really walk away from... <laughs> it's not refundable. You can't walk away from the hardware you just purchased, unlike a date. Yeah, you, it's refundable, I think, oh, within 30 mm. days. Good tip. Try it on, give it back. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk about your modular gear. Did you... You've recently started incorporating modular machinery into the live sets. Mm -hmm. How has that changed your sound? Definitely more glitchy, more like tech, more... Well, the type of modular rig that I got, that it... Um, one is like a granular sampler, and then one is like another sampler that has like a like, lot of break beats and glitchy stuff. So, um, um, yeah, more more like sort of IDME kind of element, I think. IDME breaky beat element. Because I have like bunch of other machines that I, I, it sounds more like a kind of a left field house and techno territory. Was getting into modular um, hard for you because, you know, from as an outsider, modular synthesizers are probably the most complex and intimidating musical instruments out there. The wiring, the patches, the, the new modules you have to constantly purchase to evolve your sound. What was the learning curve for you? Was that, did it take you a long time to get into it or did you find that you found your own natural rhythm with the machines? Well, it's definitely like bigger investment than buying like one hardware that does everything because you have to buy power and you have to buy case and you have to buy the cables. Everything's like sold separately. Um, so it's again, being intentional about what, which modular you want to buy. And then I kind of had to give myself a little bit of boundary. I'm like, okay, I have this little box and I'm just gonna fill this up. Because it's kind of a rabbit hole, they say, right? So I'm like, so I like packed it. And after you try certain things, you're like, oh, now I need this, I need that. And then when you jam with people who has more stuff and you're like, oh my God, I wanna get this. And it's, I call it music lust, uh, gear lust, sorry, gear lust. Gear lust is definitely a theme at Mutech. I think everyone is eyeing each other's gear. What, tell us yeah, what- Yeah, I wanna start playing saxophone now after seeing Bendik. <laughs> I did play saxophone in the past, alto oh. saxophone. Interesting, yeah, I was gonna ask what performances you've seen here at Mutech or what gear have you been eyeing that could possibly change the way you play tomorrow or in the future? Not necessarily like the gear-wise, because I wasn't really paying attention necessarily what they were using, but like just how they sound. But the one that I mentioned yesterday at the SAT, the artist from UK, Nick. Nick Holt Void. Yes. I might I might be butchering the name, so. I that apologize. that was a, a delightful surprise. Like the I say, abundance of mutech that brings like discovering an artist you never heard of that you're like, oh my God, like that gives you that kind of uh, drive and excitement to check them out in the future. I'm curious what kind of headspace you need to get in before you start a live show. You know, as, as a touring artist, I'm sure you must get nervous sometimes before shows. 
how do you get into that zone of clarity and focus that you need to have fun doing your shows, but also, you know, um, execute your original productions well? And yeah, what do you have any rituals that help you get into that zone? I drink like cold pressed juice and coconut water for the electrolytes. And just a stretch. <laughs> just, you know, fingers crossed that your medicine is fine. Like, I don't know. Um, you're playing tomorrow, you're playing um, outside. Yes. You're not playing inside a club. How does playing outside change your approach to the sound? So I always think, because I play like a lot of different environment. Um, like a museum or like a rave or like a club or like so I always think about the environment the kind of people are going to be there so my approach was like the time that I'm playing 6.40 it's going to be like kind of sunsetty and it's like summer and it's kind of breezy so I was thinking maybe like you know kind of like summer dancey stuff like sometimes I could go really experimental but then like I said, I don't want to take myself too seriously. <laughs> so I just want to have fun and like make it dancey and like I want to engage with people. I want to see people dance. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't think whenever I've seen you play, I don't think I've seen this side of your performance. I think I've seen you play obviously in clubs and it's always been a bit more intense warehouse style rave. So, so sound wise, right? Sound wise, yeah. yes. How is it a comparison? No, I'm, I'm just, oh. yeah, I'm curious to know what happy Koreatown acid sound is. <laughs> the, the summer of, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, when I think a lot of people discover you for the first time, they see your name and they see acid in there, so they expect that's all they're going to hear. But, you know, obviously... You're I like that misleading part. <laughs> your, your music, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, it goes goes beyond genre categorization. What exactly about Acid in, spoke to you and why did you choose to incorporate it in your name? In my name. Is it the sound or the I more? I have Acid Reflex. <laughs> I suffer from Acid Reflex because I eat too much tteokbokki, which is like this spicy Korean rice cake. And <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to like lay down my health Concerns here, but yeah, <laughs> fair. that's fair. I mean, it could be it could be music. It could be like the sort of I like the trippy element of you know association with acid. So sure, like it could it's triple meaning. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you a bit about Toronto because Toronto is where you made your career. Um, you obviously have very close connections with Seoul and you know uh, South Korean nightlife, but. You really made a name for yourself in Toronto. What has it been like? Yeah, I played a lot of bad shows in Toronto. <laughs> for those of you, you know. <laughs> what has it been like for you to, now that you're touring internationally, what is it like for you to come back to Toronto and play at home? And I think it would be interesting for everyone here if you could talk a little about how crowds differ around the world, because what what is a good crowd to you and how do crowds in, let's say, Toronto and Montreal differ from other places in the world? Definitely, I spend most time like playing in the city like Toronto, Montreal and New York. And I feel like they're pretty like 
three legit lit city that's more open to nightlife. Um, it's it's different. I, I the receptiveness is different, but I think um, Toronto has a lot of like a cool queer like parties nowadays, uh, like pop rally and stuff, and uh, it's pretty lit. <laughs> I think everybody, like after pandemic, they just, everybody just wants to go off. And it's like a, that kind of, when you walk into that club, like that pressure of like, who's playing the hardest banger, like that kind of vibe. That's actually where I was going with this question because I noticed myself that in Toronto, some, as Toronto, Montreal, as well as New York, a lot of the younger kids at parties these days are really attracted to the high BPM, like old school rave sound. Um, so I'm wondering, when you're playing at parties like Pep Rally, do you feel pressured to play like play harder um, because you know that's what the crowd likes? Definitely, yeah. Like, um, I think just like playing at any parties, like you do have the pressure. Like even when I played the Paragon last weekend, uh, kind of like I started with like a bit more like slower melodic house and. It wasn't the vibe, and I had to kind of like navigate. Oh shit! Like, okay, I gotta play faster, and then like I just kept playing faster because these people want the faster thing, and I'm just like, next try. Like, yeah. Paragon is um, primarily a techno club in New York. For anyone unfamiliar, I noticed that there's a lot more linkages between North American cities: Toronto, Montreal, New York, Detroit, Chicago, as well. And it seems important because, you know, as we navigate this pandemic era of nightlife, regional links, regional alliances are so much more important for up and coming artists rather than say, going to Europe and playing at Bergheim and playing in the more established- Oh, I, I would love that. <laughs> Panorama bar. I'm sure, I'm sure it's gonna happen for you very soon, but it's, yeah, it's definitely been nice to see more people play within their region and support more local artists. Yeah, the local scenes are strong after pandemic for sure because it's it was I f I felt like Toronto was a, always a city that like they really put that international artist on the pedestal. I think yeah, a lot of cities have probably been guilty to that because as we all know, a lot of people, a lot of the average person who goes to a party, they want to see um, a big artist, right? They're not they they may not they don't appreciate the locals. <laughs> I think a lot of people now are hopefully learning, leaning more towards music discovery and actually enjoying going to a party where they don't know the lineup. Um, mm -hmm. We gotta appreciate the locals. Have <laughs> you been seeing more support for local artists in Toronto where people are coming out and they might not recognize the names on the lineup, but yet they're yeah, showing up? Yeah, a lot of uh, new emerging artists in Toronto, for sure. A lot of uh, talented, young, eager, hardworking kids, for sure, with, uh, yeah, they, a lot of events happening for sure. Like, there's um there's an interesting, I don't want to call it a trend, but there's a development going around in a lot of big dance capitals like London and Paris, where a lot of promoters are doing parties and not announcing the lineup. Um, and so when you enter the party, it's you have no idea who's behind the decks, and that is meant to encourage exactly what we're talking about: more people showing up and kind of developing a relationship with the promoter, with the party, and not necessarily showing up because it's a, it's a big headliner. Um, how do you feel about 
playing at some of these parties where your name is not announced. Um, do you think it's a positive sign for nightlife? I never heard of that, so that's quite refreshing. I think we're going to wrap it up pretty soon, but if anyone has questions for Jess, that would be where uh, the floor is open. But I have one last question before we open it up to the audience. You've, with the release of this new album, Elephant in the Room, like I said, you've touched on a range of flavors, textures. What is coming next for Koreatown Acid? What, are, are there any other genres? Mutech, tomorrow, <laughs> 6.40. Let's, let's look a bit more <laughs> longer term. Um, are, there any, are you already planning your next record? Uh, are you trying to go on tour? What are some of the projects you have in the pipeline? So I go back home on Monday and I play a gig Thursday and Friday and then I go to Vancouver and then I come back to Montreal and then I plan to go back to New York. Um, but you know, I take it by like day by day, week by week. So I'll keep you posted. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Thank you, Jess, for your time today. Thank you, that was fun. Don't be shy. Hi, thank you for that talk. Uh, my name is Maro. I think we, we met at uh, uh, the Sublimate event, uh, the festival. With, with uh, the Stolen Farm? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah. Um, I think I remember you, you had to like reprogram all your, your drum sequences before that because somehow there was like an error in, the, uh, in one of your, your pieces of hardware. So anyways, not about that, but uh, I'm curious like how, how your live set has evolved since then and kind of like... I guess you'll find that tomorrow. Cool. <laughs> 6.40. Very succinct. I'm like nervous to ask a question because you're gonna have like a comeback, but I'm gonna go. Um, uh, my question would be like before earlier you mentioned um, like does anyone know what much music is and like growing up in Canada there's so many reference points that we have um, just in, in Canadian culture. I'm wondering when like growing up I guess in Korea, right? Yes, I came here when I was 12. Okay. Yeah. Um, moving from Korea to, to Canada, like, I'm curious to know, are the other, was it hard transitioning into Canadian culture and was, was like, what were, you, are the other reference points that, like, you grew up enjoying, I guess? You're bringing up my trauma now. Oh. <laughs> I, gr I grew up, I grew up, uh, <laughs> No, like, no, yeah. I mean, you know, I think, like, I was, like, very heavily immersed with the K-pop culture that was popping up, and then I was like one of those kids that I was like listening to Walkman. Mm. Like, I think like when I first like came here, like in the class I was just listening to music. Like mm. I was always like that kind of kid who was like lost in the headphone, okay. kind of. Cool, cool. I'm no, glad it paid off. The, the reason I brought it up is because like I, I feel like like I I grew up from bit raised like Eritrean and Ethiopian parents and like grew up in a household where it's like I'm Canadian but also Eritrean. I find like there was always so many like dual duality and like reference points and I find like is it like personal identity? Yeah, yeah. Right. Like I'm just curious. Like do you do you feel like over time music was that funnel to like I don't know if there's influences from both sides or is it more like Canadian? Is it more Korean, like... 
Oh, like I still listen to a lot of like appreciate the K-pop. Okay. But I don't necessarily make K-pop. Mm. But I appreciate the element of like kind of like the post-productions or like uh, influences and how they execute and yeah, it, I think it's just a, always influence. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, um, as a fellow Torontonian, what are some of your favorite venues there or promoters that you like to go both as like to play but also as just to visit? <laughs> well, we actually do have, do have uh, two promoters from Toronto, Frequency, Ted, who uh, does mm -hmm. like a live uh, original music showcase and we also have uh, un untold stories from Toronto. Shout out to Toronto. Okay. We'll wrap up and uh, hopefully move on to the music. Thank you so much guys for coming to the RA Exchange. Thank you for listening to RA's Exchange with Koreatown Acid. You can browse our full archive of episodes on your favourite podcast platform. Just be sure to subscribe to RA Exchange to receive updates from us. And if you love the show, please, please do leave us a rating and a review as it helps get our stories to more ears. Until next time, take care.